Thanks very much to those mouths of babes. My goodness, so they do know what they're doing when they throw things around. It's all intentional. Okay, well, I guess we knew that. Okay, moving on to a much more sober conversation. Last week, we kicked off our conversation around HIV and AIDS infections, where we were raising concerns around why the number of young people is not dropping. The number of specifically young women is increasing. The infections are increasing. It's just we're not getting there fast enough, even with the amount of um, education and campaigns that are out there, something is not going right. So we decided to get professionals in. Uh, we had started our conversation with uh, Love Life CEO, Dr. Linda Ngube, who is not with us today. So we're going to continue our conversation with Professor Sue Goldstein, who is Associate Professor at the School of Public Health at the University of Bits and HIV Research. And uh, we're also going to be speaking to CEO of Seoul City Institute, Lebohang Ramafuku. Both of them on the line with us this afternoon. Thank you very much for joining us, ladies. Good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon. So, I mean, I, I don't know if, if I should be shocked by the stats. We are not seeing as much movement as we would like to see with the infection of HIV and AIDS, particularly with, with young women. Uh, Lebo, from where you're sitting, wh- what exactly is this? My, my take is we've been spending a lot of money on campaigns. I'm not sure whether... It's it's not knowing what 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 infection come where the infection comes from. What's the cause of this increase of of infections? Yeah, thank you, Pamela, for having us. I mean, I think uh, uh, much money is not uh, correct. We've we've been spending money, mm-hmm. but um, we need to ask ourselves what we've been spending money for. Mm. And we need, in order to answer that question, we need to ask ourselves, why are young women getting infected? When we do not uh, address issues like patriarchy and we do not address issues like um, the way in which uh, relationships happen between men and women, heterosexual uh, relationships, we do not increase enabling uh, environments for young women when they are basically seeking um, services when they go to clinics, then we will not see a drop in the rate of infections. It is not a, you know, an accident that in countries like South Africa that are highly uh, 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 patriarchal, where young women still struggle to negotiate safer sex in their relationships, that the rates of infection are going to be to be much higher. I also think that where we have spent money and we have done very well in spending that money mm-hmm. is on many biomedical interventions, things like circumcision, things like uh, ARVs. Those are very important. Mm-hmm. But we have seen a decline in the investment, in investing in, in, in programs that will shift social norms. We seem to want, um, you know, uh, quick fixes when, in fact, the problem is as much a social issue as it is a health issue. Prof. Goldstein, I mean, uh, Lebo is uh, referring to the fact that it's a multifaceted. This issue of spending money on maybe a billboard is not quite where we should be spending our money at. There are social issues that are involved here, access to better health care. Your take on this? Absolutely. I agree with you 100%. Um, I think one of the issues that we need to remember is that actually new infections amongst younger women have decreased and that they've decreased a lot more than new infections amongst young men. And I think that we have to also try and think a little bit more holistically. So 
uh, you know, the country kind of focuses, we kind of swing from one area to the other. And, um, okay, so now we're worried about young women's infections, so we're going to implement all these grand programs like DREAMS and She Conquers, etc. But in very small focused areas. And then we forgot, oops, we forgot about the men who are infecting them. Um, so I think that we have to really try and take a step back and have a much more rational strategy around A, how we communicate, but B, also what we address. And I think Lebel's point is 100% correct. We're looking at gender-based violence. We're looking at alcohol. We're looking at um, patriarchy, which dominates most young women's lives. And, and we, we aren't really doing anything about them. So, that, I mean, what you've both said is not rocket science to me. It's quite a straightforward thing. If we understand the fact that uh, this is a holistic program, it has to be approached holistically, why aren't stakeholders coming together and making it happen? Label? Uh, look, stakeholders are coming uh, together, uh, Pimelo, but there are a number of challenges at different levels. And, mm. um, you know, for an example, um, young women exist within communities mm-hmm. uh, where, if you see the report of the Auditor General, uh, our our weakest uh, form of, of government, and there are challenges at other levels as well, is at local government. Mm. We've run, for an example, different interventions, the RISE uh, Young Women's Clubs, we've run the Soul Buddies Clubs. Mm-hmm. And when you are in communities, you actually have a full comprehension of how we fail at the very basic things. For an example, young people will tell you uh, about how unsafe uh, their neighborhoods are. We have had young people themselves, by base, by, on the basis of being a member of a rights club, being able to make sure that serial rapists are caught, children being able to see that... Uh, uh, you know, uh, pedophiles um, are, are, are caught in the communities that they, they they live in. You begin to understand what we call the social determinants of health, like the number of obstacles that any one young person that is faced to, uh, that is living in this country, particularly in poor uh, areas, are, are, are faced with. Uh, we we used to have a, a print materials. We no longer get support for print materials. When we go into communities, communities are saying we still need that information. You have 60% of children growing up in homes that are single uh, uh, headed with mothers that have to go out and work because they are the only contributors. And there is no social uh, uh, support for, 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 for those children who may have a parent who wakes up and leaves home at 4 o'clock and comes back at, 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 at 7 o'clock. And programs like the ones that Soul City has run, not attracting the kind of funding because there is evidence that they were creating not only a safe space for young people to be engaged in different um, um, you know, activities, but they were also showing uh, impact on, on, on um, HIV. We've recently been in Limpopo where we were talking to nurses and the nurses in a clinic were telling you that 10-year-olds and 14-year-olds were basically um, uh, falling pregnant. Mm. But the nurses were not following up to say that when a child is falling pregnant at 10, it is rape and therefore it is illegal. And they were just reporting the statistics. 
So, you know, at different parts in the system, mm. we are really seeing a, a, just a lack of um, sometimes coordination, sometimes uh, ignorance, like with the example of Limpopo that mm. I am I'm giving you, mm. but issues of poverty. You know, when we speak of a number of problems like the economy does not work, we, we seem not to then say what are the ripple effects to the one person on the ground. We'll give uh, more details on that and also look at why is it that the funding has gone down, particularly when it's shown results. Because as you just said, you know, just because we had these programs uh, five, ten years ago, it doesn't mean that, you know, the message sticks. You still need to pre-print those those posters and so on. And if there's no money to print those posters, the message doesn't follow through. So we'll look at that and more. And I also want to welcome you for your calls on why you think. In fact, I see a lot of people on Twitter as well weighing in on the subjects, do send us a WhatsApp note as well. Give us a call on 0891-104-207. Your take on why we are battling with HIV and infection, HIV and AIDS infections to this day. At SFM Radio and at Pimelo Mutile on Twitter. Thank you very much for staying with us. So on Twitter, uh, you can follow me at, at Radio, I beg your pardon, at uh, Pimelo Modine and also at SAFM Radio. And uh, Cyril Rama, <laughs> Cyril, I like the name, Cyril Mahashule is uh, calling themselves Cyril Mahashule, is saying, Pimelo, maybe the inequality is also a major, major contributor factor in HIV infections amongst women causes as much as information is there, but many are forced to have un protected sex because men gave them money, give them money for this and he goes on. So my guests this afternoon are Professor Sue Goldstein, Associate Professor at Wits School of Public Health and Lebohang Ramafuku, CEO of Seoul City Institute. We're still unpacking the fact that uh, you know we still have this major problem with HIV and AIDS infections. Uh, Lebo, you were saying earlier on there's an issue with, with funding. Uh, Professor Goldstein, why is funding decreasing? Well, it's interesting because, it's, uh, well, funding is decreasing worldwide. And um, we have to remember that now we have a conservative government in the U.S. Trump is not all that keen to give his money to developing countries. Mm-hmm. But having said that, one of the problems, I believe, in, in South Africa is that the funding is donor-driven. So especially for what we call the softer things. So our government is taking great responsibility for our antiretrovirals and um, the health services. But in terms of prevention, the the funders are deciding what is needed. And I think that that is a major problem um, because they aren't building civil society in the country and not doing ground-up development work that needs to address these kind of broad factors that Lev was talking about. We're doing kind of trying to tick boxes and get quick wins. We reached... 4,000 girls, you know, that that's all they really seem to be interested in. But what we really need is long-term developmental programs, um, which local um, NGOs have been, were, have been providing. So, for example, um, with Seoul City, the Seoul Buddies Clubs, for example, are, we start with children as young as 8 years old, so between 8 and 14. And... Uh, that's developmental. That means that in 10 years' time, those children will be able to protect themselves. Mm. Um, so I, I, I think part of our problem is donor. The other problem I see is the same that's happening and with the state capture inquiry is that there are specific interests and they make themselves um, 
uh, uh, let me not say that they're stealing the money because people are not stealing money, but they are making sure that their programs get um, funded while others don't. And that is also a huge problem. There's very little transparency in how things are, are selected and so on. So I think that there are a number of, of problems. The third one, which somebody discussed with me the other day, is that the civil society involvement in these aid programs has really been decreased. And it's partly through a change in structure of the South African National Aid Council, which somehow managed to exclude most of the um, civil society organizations. My word. Lebo, your experience and reasons why you think donor funding is decreasing? Yeah, I mean, I agree uh, completely with, with with Sue, and and I also think that um, donors, um, you know, spend a lot of time with our own government deciding on what needs to be funded. But the process there, I think, over the years has shown its own weaknesses around how those decisions mm-hmm. are made. And, 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 you know, some of the things that we have heard, particularly to give you an example of Soul Buddies, mm. which has been run for a very long time, is that it is very possible that at any intervention, any new party or new leader that comes on board mm. can come on board and actually, from a very political standpoint, said, well, I need to make changes in this area. And then you are just told, well, we are no longer focusing on this area. Mm. We are now focusing on another area. On, on the surface of it, it's a very good thing. You know, none of us as civil society organizations should feel entitled to any funding. But when it is not done with any due regard to like a particular uh, theory of change, you know. So if, for an example, as Sue mentioned, the thing that we test, or we measure is the numbers, how many people you attracted. At what point are we testing the quality? And what is our theory of change? Do we think that the issues of addressing social norms can be changed in two years, in three years, in five years? And I think when we are not very clear as a country around what is our theory of change, we then do see organizations that are being funded for two, two, three years. But the other thing that we are also seeing in the funding world, uh, particularly for many organizations, is also very few donors, and others are waking up to that reality, funding almost you, uh, a, a, a program that they themselves have conceptualized. So when we respond to funding proposals, um, uh, it is less and less where we come in with, yeah. this is what we think the idea would be. Mm. We are responding to what mm. the funder is. And, and sometimes context, mm. you know, uh, 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 mm. is everything. Mm. Uh, in other times, uh, the change that a funder that comes into an area in 2019 and uh, uh, in 2017, and they say in 2019 their program was successful, mm. it also sometimes undermines the work that you did five years earlier, you know? So there's a lot of issues that we would really need to iron out, including the power dynamics around who dictates with which agenda. A really fascinating conversation. I want your calls on this one on 891 because with all of this being said, at the bottom of this, we touched on this a little bit earlier, and both my guests touched on this earlier. We are sitting in a society where there are other societal issues where you and I 
literally you and I are actually at the center of it. Our behavior and the way in which the society is structured is directly linked to the infections of HIV and AIDS. Let's take your calls on this and your comments on how you think we're going to change our behaviors as a patriarchal society. Here, there, and everywhere. SAFM 105.6 FM in Mtata. Our health discussion this afternoon is on HIV and AIDS infections and many of you coming through with your SMS's voice notes. Let me take some of them. Here's an SMS that says, Afternoon, Pimelo. I visited a retail store earlier this morning and tellers were sharing how they and girls visited club over the weekend and stripped as if this is normal. How, what chance do we have against HIV and AIDS? I mean, I don't know if I can get both my guests to weigh in on that, but it's, it's a, it's a difficult one because inequality and and poverty goes to the heart of this i, I think lebo uh, spoke to that a little bit earlier on lebo hang uh, ramafuku ceo of soul city institute is my guest and professor sue goldstein associate professor at vets of school of public health is also my guest and uh, we spoke a little bit about our own society which which is a tough one because there's only so much donor funding can do i want to hear from both of you we are in a patriarchal society. How are we going to get that right? I'll start with you, Lebo. Uh, we are in what society? A patriarchal society. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> as I said, Pimelo, it is not coincidental. Mm-hmm. I mean, when we don't believe, even as we bring up children, that girl children are sexual beings, when our own values around sex education is covered in such you know euphemism mm. when we are still debating whether schools can provide condoms mm. and comprehensive sexuality education and even with the good efforts that the department is doing to have a comprehensive and evidence-based comprehensive sexuality education as a society when we hide behind religion and uh, you know the pseudosciences uh, that that religion gives us around that if you give young people uh, especially young girls education uh, or information they are going to have sex yeah. even the the, the the tweet or the uh, message that you, you 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 mentioned right now you know for me can also suggest that young women are asking for HIV because they go out to yes. clubs. Yeah. When we've got those moral undertones around sex, when we ourselves as adults who grew up with all of those moral tones are behaving despicably, despite the kind of information that we were given when we were grow up, growing up, which was not open, then there, there is a problem because we are not engaging uh, the matter from a human rights point of view. Right. And, and and human rights asks us to deal with patriarchy in society. Let's get a voice note here. It's a question from a voice note and I'll ask uh, uh, Sue to answer that question. Hi, SAFM and all your listeners. What happened to the female condom? What happened on the education surrounding the female condom? Why is it sex is left onto the man to decide. So, here's the situation here. 
Without that female condom education, young girls will grow up thinking that no condoms are meant for them. That's why men take the advantage of sleeping with young girls without condoms. So, if the male condom is not around, let, let the female whip out their female condom and use it. I've never seen that female condom being advertised elsewhere, anywhere, in the toilet, government. You don't find them. Where is the female condom? You want to weigh, Sue, you want to weigh in on that? Hello, yeah, guys. So when, I'm sorry, we didn't hear the voice note. So the, oh, I'm so sorry that you didn't hear the voice note. Basically, the voice note was asking why is it that there isn't enough information and promotion and marketing of the female condom? Women should take charge themselves. That was the tone of the voice note. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I mean, and I think that is important. Um, but just remembering two things. The one is that the Department of Health has really tried very hard to promote female condoms and has been slowly increasing the numbers available at public health services, which is fantastic. And, and I remember many, many, more than 20 years ago, people saying this, this will not get under control until women are able to take their own control. However, it sounds a lot simpler than it really is. You know, women can't necessarily be in control when they're in an, an abusive relationship or even in a normal relationship where men feel it's their right to decide who has sex. And I don't know if you've seen any sex surveys recently, but it's usually, even women agree, it must be the men's decisions. Um, and so it's very, very difficult to, for, for women to, to really take control. However, I agree 100% that using condoms every time you have sex is actually quite a safe way of living. And it doesn't matter what you do sexually as long as you have safe sex. And there's the issue. It's not about, um, as Lebel said, moralizing about who's promiscuous and who's not. It's really about how you how you conduct yourself during sex. I'm going to have to leave it here and continue this discussion another time. I really appreciate the time you've taken, both of you. Lebohang Ramofuku, CEO of the Seoul City Institute, and Professor Sue Goldstein, Associate Professor at the School of Public Health. Edwards, really appreciate your contribution here. And that conversation will be available as a podcast. It's two o'clock. Let's go to Udzi Lesaku for the latest in news.